Will you stand as we begin worship on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning? We're starting a hero series. And with Christ being the cornerstone and our hero, we're going to sing cornerstone this morning. Our hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in
Welcome this morning. Why don't we go ahead and grab a name, shake hands. Um, nope, that's the end of that sentence. And uh, wish each other good morning. You can uh, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, welcome to Hopevale. It's great to be here as we worship and open with one of my favorite songs, Christ Alone, Our Cornerstone. Well, it's my privilege to be up here with Steve Fletcher, his wife Tanya, as well as Cass Ferris. He is the chairman of our Board of Elders. And today is the day that we get to officially recognize Steve in becoming a pastor here at Hopevale Church. Steve has been on our church staff for the last four years in the role of Director of Finance and Operations, and over this last year has gone through our commendation process, which is our equivalent here of ordination. And this includes a time of ministry observation, theological education, culminating in a final paper as well as an interactive examination time with present and past Board of Elders as well as uh, staff pastors as well. Uh, it's, it's kind of a grilling. It really is. And yet Steve, boy, passed with flying colors. Steve is clearly gifted for ministry. He has a great heart for the Lord and for people. And so today is when Steve goes from director of finance and operations to pastor of finance and operations. And we're so excited about that for you. And so what we want to do is, uh, Cass and I just want to lead all of us in a prayer to the Lord, um, thanking the Lord for bringing Steve and his family to our church, but then praying for God's blessing upon their life as well. So would you bow your heads with me, and let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you today that you are the cornerstone. God, we thank you that you are who you are. And God, we realize that it's a, an awesome and a great thing to be called into your ministry. So God, this morning, we bring Steve and Tanya here in, to, to present to you, Lord, as servants, as someone who is following your call. God, we thank you for their testimony. We thank you for their commitment to our church to the community, uh, to, to just this region, God, and we pray that you would just bless their ministry, bless their family as they seek to follow you in this new role. God, we just thank you for them this morning. Lord, we recognize that all of us who know you as Savior Jesus, um, you have unique calling for our lives. Wherever you have us placed, Lord, we're there for a reason, and yet, in your divine wisdom, you have brought Steve and Tanya and their family to our church for such a time as this. And Lord, Steve has already demonstrated numerous just gifts and abilities to uh, love you and to love people as Jesus commands us. And yet now, Lord, with this formal recognition, we pray that you would have even greater works for him to accomplish here as part of your church on mission with Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that your hand of blessing and favor would be upon him. You would strengthen his heart for the tasks that you have for him, and that he truly would be a loving shepherd as part of this church body. For Tanya, uh, just thank you for her. Thank you for just the team that they make, and to continue to encourage 
their heart, not only as husband and wife, but as uh, companions in ministry as well. And for all of us, Lord, just even use this occasion to um, encourage our hearts for what you have done in and through this church, what you are doing, and what you want to do and will do in the future as we seek to, to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, inviting people to know and follow our Savior. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Thank you. In a moment, uh, we'll go to prayer for our offering. Um, before we do, I just, um, just kind of feel led for a pastoral moment here to talk about just the events in our country this past week. It has been a really hard week, hasn't it? It really has with the... Uh, shootings in uh, Baton Rouge, in St. Paul, and then just the tragedy last Friday night in Dallas. I think there's a sense where we feel as Christians living in this country, well, what do we do? And it is hard. And I, I'm not a genius, really. I have, you know, no kind of magic bullet solution. What I do know is that God gives us guidance for any and all life situations. And I couldn't help but think of the anger series that we went through these last several weeks. And so uh, to the church, I just want to read a few passages. Can I do this? And think about, you know, what is our response? Well, let me share a few things. James 1, 19, 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Romans 12, 18, 19, and 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then finally, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, must submit our, our anger, our feelings, our desires for justice to the Lord. So yes, right, we act justly, we love mercy, we walk humbly with our God, right? And so there's a place for us to, to pray for peace, to seek justice. In the church of Jesus Christ, there is no room for racism. There's no room for us versus them kind of mentality, whatever it may be. There's a place for empathy. There's a place to weep with those who weep, whether it's for people of another race or if it's people of a certain profession, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And so I just want to encourage us to not get swept up, right? There, there's something in our culture and in the media that, that I think wants to stir us up, you know, to, to bitterness and hatred as opposed to seeking the Lord and pursuing peace. So can we just, as a church body, you know, commit to living our lives before the Lord in the way that he would have us and um, be proactive in our faith, not reactive to the circumstances around us. And so, as the ushers come forward, we're going to pray for the offering, and I just want to pray for us as a church and pray for our nation as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you um, thanking you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, there's a song we've often sung that on Christ alone we stand. He is the solid rock, because everything else is sinking sand. And in a week like we've had where it feels like, you know, what's up, what's down, what's white, right, what's wrong, you know, we, we get confused. And it, it feels very unsettling to us. And thank you that there is a hope, there is a solid rock, there is an anchor in Jesus Christ. And we cling to him. And Lord, may our relationship with Jesus change the way we see things, the way we see life, the way we see people, the way we see conflict. 
and so that we would be people of peace, not revenge, of justice, not hatred, of mercy, of compassion. We pray for those who have lost loved ones this past week. We pray for those who are troubled, afraid, angry, fearful, hopeless. And we pray you would fill their hearts. Lord, would you bring a spirit of peace and not division, of love and not hatred to our nation? God, because ultimately you, your son, you know, this is where the solution is found. And we know that. So God, begin with us. Help us to live out of that and to be people who are, are listening and loving, not vengeful and fearful. God, that is just what it means for us to be, you know, Christian citizens of heaven who live as citizens of this country. But it's also how we're to relate to each other as a church family. So begin with us, begin here, God, and make us this community of grace and truth, loving one another and fulfilling this new commandment that Jesus has given to us. Father, thank you for this time of worship. We look forward to singing more. We pray for Sam as he brings the message today that our hearts would be responsive to what you would have for us. And now, Lord, as we give, we do this as an act of worship, giving you the praise, the honor, and the glory, and all that you deserve. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
stand as we multiply those hallelujahs and that truth that our our lamb our god jesus overcame the cross the death the stone was rolled away we're going to go back and we're going to sing that the ground began to shake and if you believe that sing it out sing it loud lift your voice in praise the ground began to shake began to shake the stone was rolled away his perfect love could not be overcome death where's your sting death where is your sting our resurrected king has rendered you defeated
continue to pray that your light shines through all of that and that that people will see you for who you are which is a good good father and you give us what we need in your timing before we even say a word thank you father amen Good morning, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it is a beautiful morning outside. And a great chance to uh, get started on our summer series this morning called Heroes. And this series is going to actually take us all the way through Labor Day in September that weekend. Um, And I'm really excited about this series because we're going to be looking at um, some people from the Bible, men and women from both the Old Testament and New Testament who um, did some things in their life and, and how God used these people to be heroes. And, and why I'm really excited about it is because I, I, we get a chance to learn about what it means to truly be heroic in the eyes of God. And uh, what, what does the Bible define as a hero? And I think what we're going to learn is and discover is that it's a, not a lot different. These people aren't a lot different than, my, than me and you. And uh, we can do things in our lives that would be heroic in the eyes of God um, every single day. Uh, in fact, last Monday was 4th of July. How many of you um, did something fun for 4th of July? I'm not going to ask what you did. You can tell your neighbor or something later during the service. You, did, you, you would consider it to be fun. Uh, my family, what we like to do is we like to go to the beach. And so um, we've lived up here for five years. And in those five years, we had never made it to Tawas, um, to the beach up north. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to venture out, and we're going to do that on the 4th of July. Now, some of you are probably thinking, that was a mistake. Um, why would you do that? <laughs> Um, we knew that 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 could be a possibility. So our game plan was we're going to leave early in the morning. We're going to get up early. We're going to drag our kids into the van and we're going to drive up there. And so we did, we got up early and we left and, uh, we got up there just in time for the parade and we didn't know there was going to be a parade. Um, so every road that leads to the beach was closed And so after about 400 detours, um, we finally got to the beach, and we found out the positive part of getting up there while the parade's going on. No one was at the beach. Everybody was at the parade, so we were like, yes! I think there was like a handful of people there, and we were like, this is, it's perfect, because we get the beach to ourselves. Our kids can go crazy, and no one's going to care. And so we let them. We were like, go, run, into the water, throw sand, mud, whatever you want to do. You know, my, my boys, um, I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and the, the thing that they want to do when they grow up is be a ninja. 
and they like to fight with swords like any boys do. And so as soon as they get there, I kid you not, three minutes in, my son Nick has this gigantic stick out there in the water, and he just starts swinging it around. I'm like, you're going to kill somebody. Oh, there's no one here. Go for it. Um, <laughs> and my son Jonathan has found this other thing. I'm like, you're going to impale somebody with that. But, you know, there, there's no one there. So this was perfect for our family. So we let them run in the water and play. The adults did not go in the water um, because it was freezing cold. But there's just something about, you know, being little where you just don't care. And so they ran in, and they're like, we can't feel our arms anymore. We're like, you know, it's part of being a kid. So um, we got done at around lunchtime. We're like, as we're starting to pack up, apparently the, uh, the parade had just let out. And so as we're getting ready to eat lunch and leave, everybody starts showing up to the beach. So we're like, perfect timing. This is amazing. I can't believe this worked out this way. So we, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do for the rest of the day. So what we ended up doing was we uh, ended up just walking around the town, just kind of seeing what's there. Um, we actually, uh, we went to the ice cream shop, Marion's, I think it's called, and we just hung out there for a little bit. And then Sarah was like, my wife said, we have to walk out on that little pier, the dock, because that looked kind of cool. So we went across the street and we walked out on the dock. And if you've ever done that before, you'll know this to be true. At the beginning part of the walk, there's rails on either side. It's this wide walkway and rails on either side and there's water. Um, but like a little bit, uh, you know, as you keep going, all of a sudden the rails, they disappear on the sides and there's nothing there. And for whatever reason, this freaked my kids out. They were kind of like, what do we do? And especially my, my little daughter, she, Kara, she's um, going to be four at the end of this month. She just looked like had this panic attack look on her face like, there's deep water. And, uh, and so we, we dragged them across the pier and we're like, come over here, we've got to take a picture. And... <laughs> You know how it goes with your parents. And so you sat them down and we're like, you smile and you like it. Um, and so <laughs> took a picture. And, and so we're getting ready to walk back because we're like, okay, this is going to be crazy. One of them is actually going to fall in, you know. And so we, we're walking back and, and I'm holding my, my daughter's hand and we're getting there and she's looking like just panicked. And so I have this like, you know, that moment as a parent in your mind, is this a teachable moment? Or, or we just got to get out of here. And so uh, the latter was what we needed to do. So I just picked her up. I'm like, I'm just going to pick her up and carry her all the way through. And, and I didn't think this was the time to stop and go, you need to face your fears. You know, let's go across. <laughs> so I'm carrying her and she just squeezes really tight and she tucks her head in. And as I'm walking, she whispers something into my ear. She goes, Daddy, you're a hero. And I literally stopped, and I was like, oh. It's like every parent's like, you know, oh, this is such, like the heavens were shining, the angels were singing. I had one of those kind of moments, and I'm just going, this is so great. Uh, and it was just really funny, because I'm walking, I'm thinking, this is the most insignificant hero in the world. Like, I, the, uh, this is not a heroic thing. But to my little daughter, it was huge. This was, like, I was being a hero. I was doing something heroic for her. And I think what we're going to learn through this series is that sometimes the, uh, the thing that we view as heroic, um, you know, we, you know this, this, you know, caped person who comes in and saves the whole world and that kind of that heroic or somebody who comes in and like does something that's like this massive amount of curtain. I think what we're going to learn through this series is that being a hero is like, it's not always that. A lot of times it's just doing these little things that God looks at and views at and he says, that's heroic. Living this way is, hero is heroic. And so that's one of the things I'm excited about uh, to learn in this series. Today what I want to do is I want to kick off our series by looking at these two guys, Joshua and Caleb, that the Bible um, labels as heroes. It calls out their life as, as heroes. And um, and they're not heroes, be, uh, they, they did a lot of really cool things, but one of the main reasons they're heroes is because of a, a character trait that they had in their lives that you and I can actually exemplify in our lives as well. But, but if you're like me, um, as you start reading their story, you go, man, the, the character trait that they had, I need more of that. And the character trait we're going to look at this morning is courage. Joshua and Caleb, they, they exhibited courage in their life. It's something they had, and it's something that I know for me personally, I need more of. In fact, when I, when I was a freshman in high school, I learned a lot about what courage is um, through one event that happened in my life. Um, I went to this summer camp. I grew up in California, and so I went to this summer camp in Southern California called Hume Lake. 
And uh, at this camp, they have this ropes course there. And a part of this ropes course um, was this bungee jump death drop thing that kids would strap themselves into, run off the side of a cliff and just jump. And uh, all my friends who had been there before, would, as we were driving down, that's all they could talk about. They were like, you have to do this, Sam. You've got to do it. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem, whatever. I got this. I'm fine. Um, I'd been on roller coasters, so I thought it couldn't be any different. Like, I'm brave. Yeah, I can do whatever. And, and so I was like, yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm, I'm okay. And then I got to the camp. And then I saw this thing. It had to have been like 500 feet tall. I mean, it looked gigantic. I think it was really like less than 30. But and the, it, when I'm looking, looking at it, it just looked... In fact, I have a picture of it. Let's put it up on the screen. Here, I have a picture of this um, thing. It's not me, but this is some kid who is um, crazy and brave jumping off of this thing. And um, so that's what it was. And I looked at these kids doing this, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But, uh, you know, you have to look like you're, you're okay with it. And so... I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally, you know, fine. And so they're like, let's do it. And in that moment, you're like, that's awesome. But, um, you know, my leg hurts today, guys. And so I started thinking of the 100 <laughs> excuse, I mean, reasons why I couldn't do it. And every day was the same. Something was hurting, you know, oh, my sciatic nerve, I can't do it today. <laughs> uh, you know, as a 15-year-old. Uh, but uh, there was multiple excuses. Thursday came of that week, and I ran out of excuses, I ran out of things that could hurt on myself, and so I was like, I have to do this now, and my friends were like, let's do it. They're like literally pushing me up the hill like, you've got to go, and so here I am. I get on this platform, and you got to get into the little harness thing, and you're all strapped in, and I'm looking over the edge. I'm like, are you kidding me? And like, my heart is beating like crazy. My hands are all sweaty. My like feet are going numb. I'm shaking all over the place. I mean, I must have looked like a hot mess because the instructor who was up there looked at me and he's like, are you okay, dude? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just scared out of my mind. You know, um, and he, he's like, hey, and he said something to me that, that calmed me down and it actually helped me. Um, and here's what he said. He said something like this. It wasn't exactly like this, but he said something like this. He said, uh, it's okay to be scared. You're going to be scared. That's just a part of this. And he said, but you see that guy down there who's holding the other end of your rope? Because we had to be like tethered into like 50 ropes. He's like, see that guy holding that rope down there? Here's the deal. You just have to trust him more than the fear that's inside of you. That's it. You just have to trust that he is going to take care of you more than this fear that's going on inside of you. And for whatever reason, that helped. Knowing that there was a guy who was holding this rope, uh, maybe I shouldn't have trusted, I don't know. <laughs> but for whatever reason, that, that helped. And then he said something else. He said, and here's the deal. The next time you do this, you're going to get scared all over again. But the more you do it, the more trust you're going to develop in that guy, the easier it's going to be. And I don't know why that, what he said with that, why that worked, but it did. It spoke to me. So I was like, I guess, I guess I'm going to do this. So I closed my eyes, took a deep breath. I counted to three, took one step back and ran, and I jumped. Ah, and it was amazing. It was awesome. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that before, but um, the, the sheer panic and thrill meetings does something to you. And I was like, oh, it was so good. I got to the bottom and I was like literally shaking and I couldn't tell if it was from being excited or being afraid, but I was shaking. And I was like, I got to do it again. And so four more times that afternoon, I went back up there and I did it again. And you know what? That guy, he was right. He was right. When I got back up there the second time, all of those, like, all that panic and all that fear came right back up again because there's just something that looking over the edge and seeing your ultimate demise does to you. <laughs> and so I'm like, I started being afraid again, but I'm like, I already did this. And that guy already held me once. I think he can do it again. And so the more I did it, the more I trusted that guy and the more the fear just really didn't matter. And so when we talk about courage today, when we talk about courage, I, I think that's what we are going to find. I think that's what we need to understand. And that's what these two guys, Joshua and Caleb, are going to actually show us about biblical courage. Because you may be facing something in your life, whether it's, it's big or small, that's causing fear in your life. 
or anxiety or it's, or it's causing you to, to not be able to move and you're like, I don't know. And, and what you need more than anything else is courage, biblical courage. So let's take a, a, a look at a story in the life of these two guys to help us understand what biblical courage is and how it can play out in our lives. So we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 this morning. Numbers is in, right in the front part of your Bible, one of the first five books of the Bible. Um, if you've got an old school Bible, you can open up to there. If you've got a smartphone and you've got the Bible app, you can look up Numbers 13. It's really easy to do that. Um, if you have the Hopevale app, you can click on that. And on the top left-hand corner, it says Bible. You can click on that and you can follow along with the message notes. Um, Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to be. Let me give you a little bit of a, a setup, some of the background to this story, so that we kind of know how the, how the events uh, have led up to this point. Okay, so the nation of Israel, they were captives in, e- in Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, and God raised up a guy named Moses to come in and free the Israelites. And so God told Moses, he said, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So that's what he did, and Pharaoh said, no way. And so God um, raised up ten plagues. And these plagues happen over and over and over again. And finally, Pharaoh had had enough. He's like, fine, get out of here. Can't take this anymore. And so the Israelites left. And God said, I'm going to take you to a a land. You're going to worship me. I'm going to give you my laws. You're going to be my people. It's going to be great. Um, Pharaoh had a change of heart, change of mind. He sent his his troops after him. Um, God did some miraculous things. They they were up against the Red Sea, couldn't cross. They're like, oh no, now what do we do? Um, And God parted the Red Sea for them. They walked across on dry land, and he literally wiped out their enemies and gave them freedom to walk into their promised land. The next thing you know, they're at Mount Sinai, and God is giving them the Ten Commandments, giving them his law. And they're seeing some amazing things happen. They, they run out of food, so God provides them food with this, with quail that would come. And then this stuff called manna that would like be on the ground when they woke up, and they would make bread out of it. And when they needed water, God would provide them with water. So they finally get up to the promised land that God is going to give them. And Moses says, I, I need 12 guys um, to do kind of a 40-day recon mission. When you're going to go in, you're going to spy out the land, you're going to see what's available to us, you're going to see what the people are like, and in 40 days, come back and let me know what's going on. And two of those spies that went were Joshua and Caleb. So that kind of sets up our story for where we're at. So Numbers chapter 13, we're going to start at, at verse 17 and kind of see how this story plays out, okay? So here we go. So when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and, and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land because it was the season for first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Labo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and, and came to Hebron, which these guys, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. They were the descendants of people who were giants. Okay, so this is important to the story. Uh, Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch, look at this, bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Can you just imagine how big those grapes were? I mean, two guys had to carry one cluster of grapes on a pole, and then all this other fruit. I mean, this was like, this is the most amazing land you've ever had. It says, that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So here are these guys, they're in there, they're kind of like, they got their binoculars out, they're looking around, they're seeing some people, they're like, look at all the fruit, look at how amazing this place is. 40 days later, they come back to Moses Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, which is an expression like, this is the most amazing place you've ever seen. It's like paradise here. And they said, here is its fruit. Now, have you ever had a, like, had a conversation with somebody, and they're telling you some amazing things, and you know what's coming next, and they're like, this is so awesome, but, <laughs> and then there's an excuse as to why this isn't that good. Here's what happens here. They're telling Moses and everybody, oh, it's so amazing. You wouldn't believe it. It's so awesome. But then the, the very next word out of these guys' mouths, verse 28, but, 
But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They're just kind of going on and on and on, excuse after excuse, going, oh, no, these guys are, there's no way we can do this. And you can start to sense the panic and the fear of these spies as they're, they're recounting what they saw. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. You can almost feel the tension of Caleb like he's getting a little fed up here. He's listening to this report from these other guys, and you can kind of see him looking at him like, what are you doing? Why, why are you saying these things? And so he steps in, he silences them, and he says this, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb's like, guys, are you forgetting something here? Like, God said this is our promised land. We should do it. We should totally do this. Look at verse 31 then. But, (laughs) but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim and the giants. We saw these people who are like three times bigger than we are. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. They're starting to spread like this, we can't do it, attitude. And so look what happens. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, it says, That night, all of the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the leaders. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. I mean, these, here are these two guys. God has, has chosen them. He wants them to lead the Israelites out of Egypt to a place where they can worship him. He's going to give them this land. And here are these people looking at the, the scope of the land and hearing this report. And they begin to live out of fear and live out of anxiety. And say, you know what? It would have been way better if we just never would have left in the first place. We just go back there and just hang out, and then this would be better for us. And here the leaders, they just, they don't know what to do anymore. Verse 6, so Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, either out of uh, frustration and anger or out of mourning, it doesn't say, but they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So here's Joshua and Caleb going against the grain going against the crowd, saying, guys, what are you talking about? And I can just imagine, it's not written here, but I can just imagine in that moment, Joshua and Caleb start recounting the people. You want to go back to Egypt? Don't you remember what that was like? And don't you remember all the times that God showed up along this journey? I mean, the fact that God showed up and and all the ten plagues happened in Egypt to even let us out in the first place. And then God showed up at the Red Sea. And then God showed up when we were hungry and gave us food. God showed up when we needed water to drink, and he did that too. God has been with us this whole time. I mean, you can just imagine Joshua and Caleb recounting this and saying this and saying, God is going to be with us as we go into this land. We should totally go in. God's faithful. He's been faithful. He will continue to be faithful. See, Joshua and Caleb, they didn't have courage in this moment because they thought for, like, somehow that they were bigger and stronger than what they were about to face. They had courage in this moment 
because they knew God was with them. They knew God had been with them and was going to continue to be with them. They remembered all that God had done for them. To them, nothing was impossible with God. And they were trying to remind the people of that. See, listen, yeah, there's a lot to be afraid of in front of us, but God is with us. He's stronger. And he's the one who has promised this land to us. We should go and do this. You see, I, I think with, with this whole thing of courage, there's this idea sometimes that courage, like when we have courage, that, you know, it's a lack of fear. And I think what they're trying to, to show us in this story is that here's what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the application of faith to the fear. It's not saying, well, if, if I'm going to be courageous, I have to be like absence, absent of fear in my life. No, that's, that's not it at all. What they're displaying to us is that, that yes, there's something that you know, could cause fear in our life, but to be courageous is to apply faith to that fear. To apply faith to that fear. It's not discounting the fear. It's saying, you know what? I'm scared out of my mind, but my trust in God is bigger than my fear. And so I'm going to move with that. And I'm going to trust God in it. It's saying this thing right here in front of me, it looks impossible at the moment. But with God, all things are possible. And so I'm going to trust God because he's been faithful. And he is faithful. And so that's what they're trying to remind the Israelite people of. But the sad report is that the people didn't listen. The people didn't listen. To paraphrase the rest of the story, uh, they decide, you know what, we're not going to do it. There's no way. And they rebel against what God wants them to do. And so God ends up punishing them. He says, you know what, guys, because you went this route, because you did not have faith, you didn't pursue this, you don't get to go into the land. In fact, what you get to do is you get to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so when this whole generation for 40 years is wandering in the wilderness, they're going to all die off. And your children, the next generation, they're going to get to inherit the land. So that's exactly what happens. For 40 years, the Israelites wander in the wilderness. They, they become enemies with some of the people in the land, and some stuff happens. And finally, that whole generation dies off, and their children become the next generation. And they get to go into the promised land. And Moses does some things so he can't enter into the promised land. So he passes the torch of leadership on to guess who? Joshua. And Joshua becomes the next leader of Israel to lead the next generation into the promised land. And guess who's walking side by side with Joshua into the promised land? Caleb. These two guys, because of their faith, because of their courage, the application of faith to their fear, they got to walk into the promised land with the next generation. And you know what God said to Joshua as he's getting ready to lead this new generation of Israelites into the promised land as their leader, this is what he said to them, Joshua 1.9. God says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is a verse that uh, when I was in college, I, I read to myself a lot and I, I memorized because this is what I wanted to be true of me. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's not about me being strong under my own power. It's not me having some kind of power of my own, but it's, it's the fact that God is with me that I can do things. That even in the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety, I can trust that God is bigger than my fears. And because God is with me, I can face those fears and I can be courageous. So there may be things in your life that you're facing right now, big or small, that are they're causing anxiety, they're causing fear, they're co causing apprehension in your life, and, and maybe you're not sure what to do about any of it. Maybe for some of you it just seems downright impossible, you know. And I think what God would want you to hear from this story about Joshua and Caleb this morning is that facing those fears with courage doesn't mean eliminating that there's this thing that's causing fear, but what it means is it means that you're trusting God and the God of the universe, the God who loves you, sent his son Jesus to die for you, needs to be bigger than the fear that's in your life. That he wants you to trust him more than that. 
Because allowing fear to overwhelm you in this is not trusting God. And I know in our culture, in our day and age, especially with what's gone on this past week, there's a lot of things that we could allow fear to kind of creep in our life and anxiety and control us in the way we live. And I think what God would want us to know and to exemplify in our life is that our faith and trust in God needs to be bigger than that. And the way we live our life, especially for the next generation, needs to exemplify that we trust God and that we trust that he is in control. And we're going to live out our life in in a, a way that exemplifies faith in him, not fear over our circumstances and what's going on. So here's the big question. What do I do to apply faith to fear? How do I how do I be more biblically courageous in my life? Well, I want to give you four things that you can begin to do. Number one, first, you need to learn to analyze your fear. Analyze your fear. It's, it's that moment where you look yourself in the mirror and you go, Why, what is causing this fear in my life? Why am I afraid? Is it something that someone else is doing to me that's causing me to have fear in my life? Is it, is it something I'm doing to myself? Um, Is it something that I've concocted in my mind that may or may not be true that's causing me to to have panic or fear? I remember when when Sarah and I were first married, um, we we got our our dishes from Pier 1. We thought we were fancy. Um, We got our dishes from Pier 1. And one of the things that came with it was this thing called a charger. And it goes underneath your plate, and it's like, it's fancy. Um, and we thought we were like high class, fancy. We would, every meal, we would have the charger underneath it. I've come to realize now, as I've gotten older and my kids got older, that's ridiculous. But um, we would put out every, every meal. Underneath that charger, though, there was a little sticker on it that said, um, do not eat off of this, uh, may poison your food. And so every once in a while, I'm sitting there eating, and I would, like, food would drop off my plate onto it, and I would just start, like, flicking it off, my, off the thing. And my wife started looking at me, like, with a funny look, like, what are you doing? And one time, it came, she gave me this look. I'm like, poison. It's poison. Can't eat it. And she looked at me like, are you an idiot? What's wrong with you? Like, she, she basically says to me, like, no. Like, they don't want you to prepare food on it. Like, don't eat, like, soup off of it. Like, one little tiny piece of rice is not going to kill you, Sam. Um, But I'm kind of a hypochondriac anyway, so I had concocted in my mind that that one little piece of rice, if I were to put that in my mouth, I was going to go and keel over and die. And I had worked that up. And it's funny to talk about now, but back then it was, like, real. It was serious. And so I was like, no, that's poison. I'm going to die. And I think that's what we do sometimes. We get things worked up in our mind that cause anxiety and fear that may or may not be true. And so what we need to do when we begin to have fear in our lives and we want to try to apply, we need to analyze, where's this fear coming from? Is it coming from a place that's true? Is it coming from a place that's false? Is it something that someone else is doing to me? Is it something that I'm doing to myself? Where is this fear coming from? The second thing we need to do is we, and I know this is going to sound like the pastoral thing you got to say, but I think it, this is absolutely true. We got to pray about our fear. You got to take it to God. I, I think what happens in our life is we try, to, we try to do everything else first, and then if you know, nothing else works, then we go to God and pray about it. I think we need to pray about it like right away. That needs to be like one of the first responses in our lives. We analyze where's this fear coming from and then immediately go to God about it. And immediately pray about it. Last night, our son Jonathan, he's seven years old. At about 11.30 or so, he comes to our door. You know, he's been sleeping, and he has his little pillow pet, and he's hugging it. And he says, Daddy, I'm scared. And so I'm like, oh, what are you scared of? And he told us the reasons why. And I go and lay down with him in bed. And I'm just, and I'm, I'm so, I got to brag about my wife here for a second. Um, she came in, and she asked him, what are you scared about? And he told her, and she immediately goes, well, let's pray about it. And so she has him pray about what he's scared about. And I just, at that moment, I'm like, man, she, she's just knocking it out of the park. She gets it. She understands it. She's, she wants him to understand that when fear happens, the person you go to first is God. And you talk to him about it. And I, I'm, I'm looking at this going, man, she did it. How, where was I at on that? Because I got to learn that from my own life, too. That God can't be the last person I go to when I, I'm afraid of something. He needs to be the first that we go to, that I go to personally. So we've got to pray about our fear. Bring it to God. Say, God, I'm afraid. God, I'm allowing this fear to control my life. God, I need your help. I need your strength. God, I know you're with me. Help me through it. So we need to pray about our fear. 
Third thing, we need to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Just go back in your life and go, okay, where, where has God shown up in my life? And just start recounting the times, and you'll, you'll surprise yourself at how many times God's shown up in your life and been faithful. You'll be like, well, here's that time, here's that time. I, I did this recently, just went back in over the past five years. Where's God shown up? And man, I was shocked at how many times I wrote down. I, I wrote it down in a journal. I think what happens, though, is that when we, when we don't remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in our life, uh, a lot of times our fears blind us to his faithfulness. And we tend to dwell on the things that we're afraid of, not the things that God's been faithful in. And so what I've, I've started doing, and, and I'm not a very good journaler, I'm, I'm terrible at doing this all the time, but what I started doing was writing down times that God's been faithful, just so I can have something to look back on and go, okay, when, when I'm afraid, when I, anxiety comes in, where's God been faithful? Because what I've known to be true in my own life, and maybe you've experienced this too, is that the more I can look back and see where God's been faithful, the more I trust him to be faithful in the future. So maybe that's the thing that you need to do. Write down in a journal or write down on a piece of paper somewhere the times where God has been faithful in your life and remember those times so that when there are times of anxiety, times of fear, you can look back at the faithfulness of God in your life and then go, okay, God's been faithful in the past. Why wouldn't he be faithful here? That's, the, that's what's going on in the story. Joshua killed like, God's been faithful in, the, in our past. Look at what he's done. Why wouldn't he be faithful as we go forward? So we need to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. And then finally, number four, and this one is, I'm talking to myself, I think, more than I'm talking to anyone else here. We need to live as, we actually, as if we actually believe God is really with you. You have to live your life as if you really believe that God is really with you. It's one thing to say, well, yeah, I believe God is with me in this, and, you know, I, I know. But it's another thing completely to live like it. Because I think a lot of times what we do is we, we say the right words, but then we live out of fear. And I think what, what God is teaching us through this story is that we, we need to not only just say it, but we have to do it. We have to live like we actually trust God in this moment. We can't just say, I trust God. We have to live like we trust God. And we have to lean on him and believe that God is really with us and he's really going to be faithful in this. And so I just started thinking about this. You know, what if we live more like Joshua and Caleb? Believing and trusting that God was with us no matter what was stacked up against us. You know, what if our trust in God was greater than our fears and our anxieties? What if we began praying to God that he would help us be more courageous by a, in our lives by applying faith to our fear? I mean, what would that do to our trust in God? Well, I know for me, when I, when I begin to live like this, my trust in God becomes greater and greater and greater. Kind of like that moment when I'm standing up there and the guy says, you know what? The more you trust that guy down there and the more you keep doing this, the more you're going to trust him, the easier it's going to become and the more the fear is not going to matter. I think that's the same thing. The more we rely on the faithfulness of God, the more we trust him in the midst of that fear, the more we are going to trust him in the future. And the greater our trust in him becomes, and the more the fear in our lives doesn't matter because of our trust in him. So my challenge to us this morning is let's, let's be Joshua's and Caleb's and live as if we actually believe that God's really with us and bring biblical courage into our life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the story um, of Joshua and Caleb and their courage and their bravery in the midst of things that um, would cause us fear. And God, I pray that I, I know there's probably um, some here today who are going through things that are causing them anxiety and fear. And God, I pray that they would learn to trust you, um, that they would live out trust in you. And God, that they would take it to you and, and be reminded of your faithfulness in their life and trust you um, to be faithful in the future. And so God, I know sometimes that isn't easy. Um, fear is a very powerful thing. But God, you're stronger, you're greater, and you're more powerful. And so we want to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond to the message. You are the only king forever
Thanks for being here today, Um, and as we leave here this morning, may you go out and live your lives in a courageous way for God, trusting Him over your fears. Thanks for being here.